Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is the women in trucking story with my friend, Ellen Boya. How's it going, Ellen? I'm doing great, Joe. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's good to have you on. I've known Ellen, God, I think we talked probably five, seven years ago about something or other. I think I was going to do some article or marketing or something for you. It never worked out. But I remember talking to you. I think it was introduced by TIA or TransStrategy Partners. Oh, what's what's the marketing person? With women in trucking? Yeah. Carlene. It would be Carlene. Oh, God, there's some another woman who used to work for a few eight, few different companies. I'm trying to think of her name now. Anyway, doesn't matter. Oh, let's, uh, Susan. Susan Fall. Oh. No. <laughs> no, she used to work with the gal who used to work with TransStrategy Partners and some TIA stuff. Oh, gosh, she lives out in like Idaho or something. Anyway, I'll think of her name well after we're done with Lana. the podcast. Lana. 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 Lana introduced us. Yeah. <laughs> She's That's wonderful. Right. I haven't talked to her in a while. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so please introduce yourself and your company. Sure. So my name is Ellen Boya, as you said, and I'm the president and CEO and the founder, actually, of the Women in Trucking Association and also our sister organization, which would be the Women in Trucking Scholarship Foundation. And nice. And so what do you guys do over at Women in Trucking? So our mission at Women in Trucking is threefold. It's to encourage the employment of women in the trucking industry, to address obstacles that might keep women from entering or succeeding in the industry. And then the third part is to celebrate success, which means tell their stories. So basically, our mission is to bring more women into transportation careers. Very nice. Very nice. So when did you guys start? Uh, We were born in March of 2007. So we're about 14 years old. Very nice. Very nice. So I want to talk a little bit about your background, and then I want to circle back and talk more about women and trucking. So where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? And give us some, uh, what kind of kid were you growing up? I mean, give us some of your background. Sure. I grew up in a very small town in central Wisconsin called Iola. Very small town, very Norwegian, very, everyone there was blonde haired, blue eyed and Lutheran. (laughs) My grandpa, my dad and my uncles owned a funeral home. So I was the undertaker's daughter, but I had a mom who told me I could do anything. That that, that didn't help. (laughs) No. (laughs) <laughs> that can't <No>. help. <laughs> no. Like, yeah, the guy comes over and they're like, if this doesn't go well, you're going with my dad to the funeral home. Right. <laughs> so I had one of those moms who was very, very foresightful. I mean, we're talking in the 70s and she told me I could do anything. I could be anything. I could do anything. And so I was involved in sports and I wanted to take shop class instead of the home economics class, because I liked engines and woodworking and welding and drafting. (laughs) So I had to lobby the school board because back in the 70s, girls didn't take shop class. So I took shop class and the instructor said I was the best welder he ever had. (laughs) And so I got a job after high school uh, working at a steel fabricating plant. And I was drawing material handling equipment, which isn't very sexy. I mean, it's I'm drawing pallets and racks and things like that. <laughs> Not very exciting. <laughs> yeah, that's my background. I was a drafts. My first job out, I was a drafts. My dad owned an engineering business. And, you know, you mentioned that you were interested in that. I was not. And it's funny because I was horrible at drafting. And I remember, but my dad owned a business doing it. So I found myself in that biz going, 
And it's funny, every once in a while, my, my friends go, seriously, you're doing that? You're designing parts? I was like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> it's interesting. It's, well, and we we made racks for some of the big names. I mean, John Deere and Harley Davidson and, you know, Kellogg's and things like that. But so one day the owners came to me and said, we want to move you into the traffic department. And I didn't even know what traffic was. And so they <laughs> sent me to school. I didn't. They said, we'll send you to school for traffic and transportation management. And so they made me the assistant traffic manager. And I did a two-year course on traffic and transportation management. And then after my boss left, I was promoted to traffic manager. Um, And that, again, that was back in the 70s. And so we had three trucks, three plants. I was responsible for all the raw steel coming in and all the material handling equipment going out. And so it was quite a responsibility because I was pretty young. And so I learned how to read tariffs. I learned how to audit freight bills. I learned everything I needed to know. And then after I started my family, I did freelance consulting for 18 years while I raised my children. And so I was licensing and permitting for motor carriers in central Wisconsin. And then during that time, I also got my bachelor's and my master's uh, in communication. Wow. And, And here's a funny story about that. When you get a master's degree in communication, and your dad says, so what are you going to do with that talk? <laughs> and I said, yep. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. And so then I was hired by Trucker Buddy International. It's a pen pal program where uh, truck drivers send postcards to elementary classes. And I, I ran that program for six years. And then I was recruited by Schneider. And they said, we want you to be manager of recruiting and retention programs which was corporate level initiatives to attract and retain drivers. And they said, focus on some non-traditional groups such as women. And at the time I was working on my pilot's license and I belonged to a group for women in aviation. So it struck me that there wasn't an organization for women in the trucking industry. So using my contacts I had when I was with Trucker Buddy, I put together a board of directors, had an attorney drop all the paperwork. And in March of 2007, the Women in Trucking Association was born. Right. Normally, I ask people, what hole did you see in the market? But I don't think that is necessarily a good question for you. It was obvious. There's just not very many women in the in the business. And maybe the more appropriate question, why not? You know, that's a great question. Well, and I want to go back 14 years ago, Joe, because 14 years ago, there were women in, in the industry, but they didn't want to be noticed. They just wanted to do their job if they were driving a truck or whatever and just didn't want to call out the fact that they were women. That's really changed in 14 years. And the other thing is 14 years ago, trucking companies would tell me, well, we don't care about their gender, their ethnicity, their age. We just want a good driver. Well, we've proven to them why they want female drivers. And so now there's more focus on hiring female drivers or and women in management and safety and things like that. But The biggest issue that the obstacle that we, this industry has is that people perceive it as a very male dominated environment and women don't picture themselves in sales, even marketing or, or recruiting or, you know, safety or whatever. So that's where the telling the stories comes in. When we tell women's stories about what they're doing, then other women look at them and go, oh, well, I hadn't thought about that. Maybe I can do that. Right. You know, it's interesting. I've never been a trucker myself, uh, but I remember one time driving a six-wheel vehicle back from Chicago. It was four and a half hours normally, but it was snowed like hell, and it was like eight and a half hours. And I remember I got just that little taste of being a driver because I remember, you know, this huge snowfall and calling 
and saying, hey, I think I'm going to be late. Obviously, it's, you know, snowing like hell. And he goes, no, well, this guy just starts reading the riot act. But by the end of the day, he's swearing at me. I was thinking, I was like 21, 22 going, are you kidding me? I'm like, is this what drivers do? Like, this sucks. <laughs> and, um, you know, all the problems in the world belong to me. And I thought, this is a tough job. And I will also throw this out there. My mom's family had a lot of truck truck drivers, and it was very lucrative back in the day. They were from coal mining areas and moved over here to Michigan. And it was lucrative, but there was always this perception like, oh, uh, you know, it's a, a job for tough guys, for rough men, right? And it seemed like you're a badass or a hillbilly. There was nothing that was like, hey, these are normal professionals. And then when you meet truck drivers, you're like, oh, you're just like a regular guy who just happens to be a professional truck driver. And it is not easy. You have to have concentration. It's it's tough. You have to have it, the stamina. All the things that you kind of think about really is just stereotypes now. You, you don't see those guys walking around. I mean, might, they might have a cowboy hat on, but it's not because they think they're a cowboy anymore. You know. Well, and and we don't think of truck drivers as being someone's dad or mom or aunt or uncle or grandma or sister. I mean, right. And that's why we have to tell their story. Right, right. And I'll tell you another thing. We, we're so disrespectful of truck drivers. I've said this all the time on my podcast. Ellen, you're about eight hours from me. If I got my car and drove over to Wisconsin, which I'm going to do next week, by the way. And if I drove to Wisconsin and I got to your house and you said, hey, Joe, I see you my, you're in my driveway. Give us about an hour and then we'll come out and we'll go out to lunch. I'd be like, oh, I hate Ellen. I'm going to give her a lawn job on my way out of Dodge, right? It's disrespectful what we do to these guys. Or you drive all this way and then you... Nobody greets you and says, "Hey, welcome. Park your truck over here. We're going to unload you soon." Or, or here's 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 how we manage this. Nope, it's you figure it out. You walk up to the front office through this factory or through this distribution center. It's just we we don't do it right. We don't treat them right. And and when we say truck drivers, of course, that applies to women too. And I think if we don't make these places safe and welcoming, we're not going to have women do it. We're we're not going to men do it either. <laughs> Well, and I'm glad you said that. The safety part is a huge priority for female drivers. And and also, I agree with you on going to a warehouse. A lot of them don't even offer a restroom anymore because they don't want drivers in their facilities. Right. I mean, it's just, it, it, we're not even treating them like human beings. Right. Yeah. I was advising a large shipper and I remember I said, you've got a few locations that are no fun to pick up at. And and what to their credit, they were right on top of the vice president of logistics said, I went out there. I saw how this works. I hate it. What can we do differently? And I said, well, p- people aren't getting unloaded quickly enough. I said, that would be the best thing. But if you can't get that done, there's no rest area here. Give them a $20 gift card. And say, go down the street, have have lunch on us, and we're going to get we're going to unload you in an hour. Take a shower down there. At least respect the fact that it's your fault that they're not being unloaded quickly, and respect respect the fact that they drove all day to be here only for you to go. Sorry, we weren't ready. <laughs> it's again this and and by the way, I always say, meaning he might or she might miss their next load in the morning or the in. And they also might get home for their family function, for their kids' play, for their ball game. We just have to do better. And again, that begins with the shipper and the brokers and the trucking companies making it better for drivers. Exactly. You know, there are companies... Stepping off my soapbox. Well, you know that there are trucking companies now that are firing their customers, and rightly so. If a driver complains about the loading dock, the company will revisit whether they want them as a customer. 
Yep. No, I understand that. And I think, you know, if you're trying to recruit drivers and you say, this is a great place to work, and then you send them to places that are not great places to work, you know, the, the, the recruiters at some point have to align with actual experiences of the drivers. So, well, you were a recruiter, so I imagine you recruited people only <laughs> to have them say, thanks for nothing, Alan. <laughs> Actually, I didn't really, I wasn't really a recruiter as much as corporate level initiatives. So like making sure, like I tried to get a pet policy passed at Schneider and, and believe it or not, they are now are allowing their teams to have a pet policy. So it was more, you know, corporate level initiatives to make sure that our drivers were happy. What do you mean pet policy? What is that? <laughs> Um, allowing drivers to bring a cat or a dog in the truck with them. A lot of companies allow it. And um, at the time, Schneider didn't allow it. Oh, very nice. Well, yeah, you got a little bit of company. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about the growth of your company. So you started this 2007. Is that when you kicked off? That's correct. So I know I know you guys have been very successful. So talk a little bit about that growth and you know some key turning points that you guys have had in since since the inception, which is what, 14 years ago? Correct. I have to tell you that if you had told me that in 2021, I would have Walmart and Amazon and Daimler and, you know, these Great Dane on my board of directors, I would have said, you're crazy, but they're very interested in diversity in wow. the industry. Yeah. So yeah, the, the board of directors is very influential in this industry as well. So but I would say the biggest part about growing, and first of all, think about this. I started women in trucking in a recession, 2007. Not a good time to yeah, start. Yeah. <laughs> I remember it. <laughs> oh. um, and so, that's when I moved. That's when I moved to logistics, and I did not want to. <laughs> was, there was something else going on. You know, not the best time. But so the first year, I said I wanted to hit 500 members, and we did. And now we're at about 5,500 members in 12 countries and 15% of our members are men. We have both corporate and individual members. So like Walmart counts as a corporate member, but a driver might count as an individual member. But the over the years, it started out with my assistant, Shar Pingle, who worked for me. And now we've got five employees at Women in Trucking. And we also employ an association management firm that has seven. So it's just been managing growth and growing and knowing what programs and projects to add and what not to add. And I mean, I'm, I'm so proud of where we are today and our influence in the industry. The board has said we want women in trucking to be a resource. And so I love it when the media comes to us and says, we want data, we want information, we want to talk to your drivers. We want to be, we want to be that resource. So what is it? You so you mentioned you have corporate, who are the big the WalMarts and the and the probably Schneider and those kind of companies. Those are corporate members, and then there's the individual drivers. What are the benefits to joining and being part of Women in Trucking? So if you're an individual member, the benefits are you get invitations to events like we have our annual salute to women behind the wheel, free to our drivers is paid for by sponsors where we honor female professional drivers. They get a goodie bag, we have music, we take their photo. They get invited to events during the year. They get discounts on that. They get discounts on items, products, and services as well. 
But for a corporate member, they get access to our resources. We have an anti-harassment employment guide. We have a recruiting and retention guide. We have best practices study. We do a annual WIT index. We do webinars. We do, we have our conference and everyone get, gets a discount on their conference registration by being a member. So for corporate, the, the value is that they can brag to the rest of the world that they're a member of women in trucking and they'll put their logo, our logo on their websites and then the recruiting ads. Yeah. And so a lot of women will see that. It's a little bit of a commitment. Right, right. And then we also have partners which are higher level higher level commitment to the women in trucking organization, a financial commitment and a obligation for time. So we have different levels of people who are active in the organization. Right. And I think it's just and I think it's great that what you guys are doing because I think you're trying to change the perception of this, which is great. And I think, you know, being in my fifties, I've been, I've had a dozen bosses, dozens of bosses. And I think about it and many of them were women and it's a different type of leadership style. And, and I think it's a, a necessary leadership style. It tends to be a softer touch, more collaborative. I love all that. And I think when you don't have women in an environment, it lacks something, right? And I think when you talk about safety, well, safety is important to men too, Nobody wants to have to say, yes, I slept in my truck in an unsafe area. That's not good for anybody, right? And I think saying we need more respect, you know, and we need to, we need to be faster in and out at locations where we pick up and deliver. Those are good for men too. So I think in a lot of ways you can highlight these things that's making the whole industry better because yep. people say, yeah, if it bugs men, if being away on the road too much bugs men, maybe it's a deal breaker for a mom. Well, I'm glad you said that because people will ask me, what challenges do women face that men don't face? And there's none. It's just that the challenges are a little different and safety goes to the top and personal safety because women are more vulnerable. And in, in the research that we did, we found we asked female drivers on a scale of one to 10 how safe they felt. And the average response was 4.4. That's unacceptable. And so recently we did a a survey on where do female drivers feel least safe? And as you can imagine, it's at truck stops and loading docks. And so we need to work on that. And and the shippers and receivers need to make sure that it's well lit and there's fencing and that the female driver, all drivers feel safe. Same thing with truck stops. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's important. I remember when I worked in automotive. So, and I worked in a professional environment, it was engineering. And I remember when we got email, it was like, oh, this is cool, right? So we immediately started sending nasty jokes around. And then you would copy like 10 of your buddies. And then they, these, so these emails, some were hilarious, right? Some videos, whatever. And then I remember you started getting the messages, stop doing this, don't do this. Don't. And then, you know, at that time, people thought, I'll just delete it off here. No one will know I did it because <laughs> no one knew that there was a server with all the emails. But I remember talking to somebody, some people in my group and I said, I see you copied everybody here. And I said, I happen to know this guy's religious. I don't think he would like this. This guy I know doesn't like it. These women, they right now, they could feel like this is a toxic environment because you sent something sexual. And they're like, well, no, I didn't mean it that way. I go, I know you didn't mean it that way. And it started off just as I'm sharing a joke with Joe. Ha ha. He'll get a kick out of it. But if it started to create an environment that women or religious people or anyone else said, I don't feel comfortable. And when you think of a doc, I don't think all docs are this way, but it'd be more likely where there's a whole bunch of guy talk and vulgar language. And that another thing, you're just creating a 
a culture where maybe a woman says, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. I don't even like the thought of that. I'm, I don't want to pull up to a place where there's a whole bunch of guys using vulgar language and po- po- potentially hooting and collaring and thinking it's okay because it's not. And no. again, it's not just it's not just inappropriate. It is basically pushing some people out of the industry. You know, when we did our anti-harassment employment guide and JJ Keller and Associates wrote the guide, um, we talk about what is harassment. So again, harassment is often in the eye of the beholder. So like if you tell a joke and you think it's funny, but I right. think it, if I think it's offensive, then I need to say to you, Joe, I don't want you to use that term in front of me, or I don't want you to use that language in front of me. Right. And then if you continue, mm-hmm. then it's harassment. Right. Right. Well, I remember reading that so long ago and it was, is it appropriate to ask somebody out at work? And my own feeling is a lot of people meet at work, right? So if you were to say, hey, you know, if if you're open to it, maybe we grab a drink sometime, right? That And you, and that person says, no, nah, I don't think it'd be a good idea. We work together. Okay. And that would, that I imagine is the vast majority of that. I read that a certain amount of guys said, it's appropriate to ask like 10 times, like something way over the top where you're like, what are you crazy? Like it just so, and again, I think sometimes behavior like that is abhorrent as it is, is rewarded. And, and there are some guys who don't get that. And again, I think this is what pushes women in out of certain jobs. And I can see that being distribution centers or warehouses or factories where we're picking up and delivering where some woman goes, I don't even know. I've never been there, but I can envision that being part of a culture at a dock. It's just all it has to be is a a thought in somebody's head. And they say, no, I don't want to do that job. Well, you know, when you're a minority in any career, so if a female pulls up to a loading dock and the men are standing there watching her, she's representing all females because they're going to say, oh, they're not going to say this person didn't do a good job. They're going to say a woman didn't do a good job. And that's not fair. Right. Yeah, that that that, have, that that goes on too. Yeah, you're being a pioneer. Anytime you're a pioneer, you're. Um, I had Ben Gordon on my podcast, and he said pioneers often end up with arrows in their back. Good point. <laughs> but but we we as an industry, we are trying to recruit drivers. And when you say um, we're trying to recruit drivers, but fifty percent of the potential population of drivers is not interested, we we screwed up. And even if we say forty percent of the population doesn't like, if forty, if half the women say that is completely a non-starter, never going to consider that career, we lose. That's right. And and so that's why we we try to get we have an image team, and our image team gives ride-alongs to elected officials and legislators and regulators and media because we want them to share their story. We've given Diane Sawyer a ride. We've given people from USA Today, the Wall Street Journal. We've had our drivers featured, Megan Kelly show, Dr. Oz, even Ricky Lake a while back. Nice. So we want them to tell their stories. So that, yeah, the, when we had a driver on the Megan Kelly show, the next morning, I mean, our phones just lit up and the emails came in. And that was the same week that Megan Kelly got canceled. <laughs> but it was a good exposure for us to have the driver on there because she told her story. It wasn't your fault. No, nope, it wasn't our fault. <laughs> So Ellen, I want to switch gears for a second. So you guys have grown and you said you got how many employees there? We have five staff members and then we have an association management firm. So you guys have grown quite a bit in the last 14 years. That's pretty good growth, especially for an organization. So how do you set the how do you set the path and get those goals? I mean, obviously you're getting more and more members, bringing in more and more money. 
hiring people, how do you kind of set that agenda and say, this is what we're going to do next? I mean, it can't be easy. So once a year, the entire board of directors and staff and representatives from our foundation and some of our partner members meet for a two-day planning session. And we sit down and we talk about what have we done the past year? What were the key initiatives from the past year? What have we accomplished? Where do we want to be in one year, three or five years? And we'll be doing that next month in Dallas at our at the hotel where we'll be having our conference. So the board actually sets the direction. But then the staff prioritizes and says, well, we can do this with the resources we have or we can't do this. So it's really the vision of an amazing set of people who are in the industry. So you, you have to uh, set the course month to month, day to day, week to week. How do you do that? Well, we look at what we want to be known for. So like we wanted to do mentoring, okay? We needed to have more mentoring. So we set up a mentoring initiative with an outside organization that will be actually leading that. So I can go back to the board and say, we've started this mentoring initiative, cross that one off the list. What do you want to do next? And so again, the board wants us to be a resource. They want the industry to come to us. A couple things that I am really proud of is being assigned or being asked by Secretary Chow to serve on the Motor Care Safety Advisory Committee. That's a two-year term. Wow. And a few years back, I served on the Entry-Level Driver Training Advisory Committee. So to have a voice at that level. And more recently, Joe, we have a bill that was introduced. It's in the transportation bill right now, so it hasn't gone anywhere yet. But it's to create a Women in Trucking Advisory Committee at the Federal Motor Care Safety Administration. Um, and so we're hoping that that gets passed. Senators Moran from Kansas, he initiated it. And so I got my Senator Tammy Baldwin to co-sign. And then we got the House side to do it as well. But he did the same thing in the aviation industry to get more women in aviation. So he was successful in getting that done. So I'm hoping that this bill gets passed and we get to serve at that capacity. Very nice. Very nice. So so you have all these goals and obviously you're hitting enough of them to keep growing and keep advocating, which is great. And yet now you're getting a voice in Washington, which God knows we need it. <laughs> you know, if we don't, it's interesting. Washington's one of those places where you go, oh God, I just like to ignore it. But it's there. If we don't advocate and say, this is what we need, this is what we want, we will get something else that they created without our input. So I'm glad that you're there representing us. Now, I'm sure you were representing the whole industry, not just women. And we need that. The more voices we can get, because I think of like the ELD mandate and the eight hours of service. I know they really worked hard to get input, but it still felt imperfect when we got it. Right. And and to the government's credit, they, they extended and said, look, we know this isn't easy, but we need to do this. And they gave us extra time. But we got to advocate for ourselves. So I know there's been setbacks and I know one wants to talk about setbacks usually, but entrepreneurs always want to talk about every time we talk to a founder they're like oh yeah we have more setbacks than anything even though the growing like a weed you've had setbacks talk about some of those setbacks and how you manage those well about three or four years ago there was still i don't want to say a recession but we kind of had an economic downturn and so we sat there you know people were not renewing their membership because they had to cut costs and so what we did was we said, you know what, you had a 12-month membership, we're going to give you an extra three months, why don't you think about 
in, in those three months if you can renew or not. So we would extend it. And people really appreciated that. They said, oh, okay. And we were hoping they would get through the economic dirt turndown and stick with us. So we've been growing at amazing pace because we, we try to make sure that we accommodate our members and our, uh, we are sensitive to the fact that association dues get cut when they're trying to cut costs. Right, right. So it's kind of sounds like a creativity over capital type thing. You can't throw money at things. It's, that's the nature of small businesses and I imagine small organizations. You don't always go, oh yeah, just throw money at it. No, and, and Joe, <laughs> what money? last year was a perfect example. We had to cancel our in-person conference. And the year before that, we had had 1,100 people attend our conference in person in Dallas. So last year when we had to cancel it, we pivoted. We did an online version. We had over 600 attendees attend our virtual conference. And so we saved money on food and beverage and AV, but we spent it on the technology and we had Secretary Chow do the keynote address. And so we pivoted. So this year, what we learned is we are having an in-person event in November in Dallas, but we are hosting a virtual event two weeks later for people who still have travel restrictions or are hesitant to be out right. in the public. So it's kind of uh, making making lemonade out of the lemons, right? Exactly. And I think, I mean, I'm not just saying this to be nice, but I think that seems like somewhat your personality driving the the organization. And I, I mean, that's necessary because you have to have that mindset of, we're not going back, we're not retreating, <laughs> you know, we're regrouping, not retreating. And, you know, I hear that over and over again because they're, you're trying to do something that has not been done. It's not easy. And so there's no, uh, just follow this easy path Everything is an uphill battle, <laughs> right? That's exactly right. But all you can do is, like you said, keep forging ahead. So I want to talk about you. We've talked about how you try and set the course for action at your company or, or, or association. What about you personally? How do you manage your time and your energy? It's funny, my executive coach, life coach, whatever you want, Ann Holm always says, don't worry about managing your time as much as you got to worry about managing your energy because certain things... You know, they took two minutes to have that conversation, but it, a lot of energy went into it. So how do you manage your time and your energy so you can have the success you've had? Well, my kids are grown. They live nearby, so I get to see them. And my daughter and her husband have two girls, so I have two granddaughters. So that's a priority. In fact, I mentioned earlier I was getting my pilot's license. So on Labor Day, I took my daughter and her husband and my two granddaughters up for a flight in my Cessna. So Whoa. that to me is, you know, being in, the, being in the air is just so amazing. But the other thing, Joe, is I prioritize taking a walk every day. I did my four mile walk this morning at seven because my first meeting was at 10. So, and my staff knows that if I don't take my walk, I'm probably gonna be crabby that day. So my my <laughs> assistant will say, have you gone for your walk yet? And I'm like, no. And so I actually schedule my walk into my calendar. And in the winter, you know what it's like when you don't have very long days of sunlight, I have to walk at noon. Right. But I think my neighbors think I don't have a job. <laughs> Because <laughs> they see me out walking all the time. I would, even when I was managing a logistics company, I would go on long walks and I would take my mobile phone and I would have a list of like five people I had to call. And I would call like, you know, customers, uh, trucking companies. And I would, I would have, and, and I remember in the city that I, that where the office was, people would say, I see, see you there all the time. Aren't you working? <laughs> 
because I was just walking around all day. And then a lot of friends would stop and go, hey, Joe, jump in. I'll give you a ride. I'm like, no, I'm going for a walk, man. <laughs> I got I to take myself out for a walk. And it does clear your head. And I'll tell you another thing. And I, I try and walk in the wintertime. I'm in Michigan. It's just as, just as pleasant as Wisconsin in the wintertime. And I think it's important to push myself out there. And I don't do it all the time. Sometimes I try and hit the gym. And uh, most times I don't go to either. But it's good for you to get out and be toughened up a little bit. We, we've become hot house flowers. When it's summer, you're like, oh, it's 78 degrees. I better turn the air on. And then when it's winter, you're like, oh, I can't go out till spring. It's silly. We need to push ourselves to that outside, get that exercise. So you're managing that, but how do you manage your tasks? So you have all sorts of things. So I imagine your list of things to do is enormous. It is. You have a board to satisfy. You have customers. How do you manage all that? Well, uh, do you write it down on three by five cards? Do you have a journal? (laughs) I always have a running list of to-do lists and it's right here by my side. And I cross things off as I get them done, but I prioritize you know, like with a highlighter, it's like, oh, this one's being highlighted in yellow because this one's urgent and this one's got to get done. So, and then it's so satisfying at night when I rip that piece of paper off and then I do tomorrow's list for the next day. So I keep that running list going and love marking things off. Right. I remember I heard uh, Warren Buffett was gave some advice to his pilot and he said something like, hey, you've been my pilot for like 10 years. I mean, did you have aspirations beyond this? What were you? And he goes, well, I kind of do. And he said, well, let me help you. What do you What do you want to do? And he said, I want you to write down 20 things that you want to accomplish. And so he wrote 20 things down. And Warren said, okay, now circle the top five and, and never look at the other 15 again. Good point. <laughs> and that is the painful part of the to-do list. <laughs> so true. <laughs> and I do that all the time where I'm like, whew, I got six, 60 things to do. And you're like, yeah, but they can't all be A1s. They can't all be top priority. I used to have a boss like that where he we would list all the things I had to do and then he'd, he'd start to prioritize with me. And I go, you can't have that many as top priority. It doesn't work. That's true. That's true. And and you know what? Delegating. I, I appreciate having staff. So it, one of the things that as we add more staff, things that I don't like to do, like finances. I hate dealing with accounting and audits and IRS and stuff like that. So I have someone on my staff, Lana, who you know, right. who has an MBA and she has, a, yep, she has taken that over. Yeah, that's, I'll tell you, it's nice. I have some people who help me out too. And if I didn't have them, life would be a lot harder. <laughs> so, and it's interesting as I've gotten older, I've become more aware of what I'm good at, what I'm not. And I managed a little logistics company and um, the owner said, what, what, what roles do you have? And I said, well, I'm the general manager. So I, I but I hired somebody to do CFO controller, whatever we'll call it. And I remember him said, I'd rather you do that. And I was like, no, no. I said, you know, we're going to grow this company. Somebody has to make that happen. I'm, I'm an ops guy by nature. That's where I come from. I can help grow this company. But if I have to do the finance that I'll just bog down and I also lose energy doing it. I just hate it. I don't even like to do invoicing. <laughs> so I need to get a bookkeeper to do all that stuff. That's true. No, but I know what you mean. So you got to, you got to delegate. So getting back to managing failure, uh, so you've had these setbacks. How do you kind of manage that personally in your head when you say, okay, this isn't working the way I want. I've had some, you know, we're not growing our membership or people are pushing back because of the slowdown. 
how do you manage that setback? I mean, um, emotionally, mentally, not uh, by pushing forward. I'm just curious what you, what goes through your head. You know, no one's ever asked me that question before. And typically in a, in a interview, I don't usually get asked questions. No one's asked me before. So that, that's really a good question. I think because I have such a positive, hopeful attitude, like the world is my oyster. I think I can change the world, <laughs> at least the trucking industry. And so I, I guess I think of it more as a learning experience than a setback. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things I'm, I, I'm always, I think we're all kind of in sales. And one of the things I always say is if if you have a few that you thought you were going to win and you don't, the best thing to do is say, I have 10 more right behind it, you know, and always have that mindset that, you know, if you get two or three deals, you're like, those three are going to go through. If one goes through, that's normal. That's average. If two goes through, it's kind of like, that was really good. If three good things happen, you're like, that is a once in a decade kind of thing for me. I always think you got to kind of prepare your expectations. But also the best way to manage around that is to say, I got 10 things right behind it. I'm not, I didn't count on any of these. I wasn't hanging my hopes on those. So true. Yeah. And and again, it's it's looking at the world differently. Yep. Yep. So in terms of mindset, I mean, do you think of yourself as really lucky or really good or both? <laughs> you know, I don't really believe in luck. I believe that we guide our future. But, you know, there is, you can use your mind to picture yourself in a situation in the future and then work your way towards that. So it's kind of like setting the framework for where you want to be and then moving toward that goal instead of looking at the negatives that might hold you up. So I, I you know, it, it, I don't know how to describe it, but it's more like I picture myself, you know, standing up in front of 5,000 people at our conference and I'll put it out in the world and say, I want 5,000 people at our conference. And that then everybody on staff knows Ellen's setting this goal. Let's move towards it and we're going to achieve it. So eventually we will. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You know, there's been all this talk of privilege or lack of privilege. And one of the things I've come to, I've talked to a lot of founders and they will all say, well, I think the luck part, and I think you already alluded to what your, how your mom and dad were. If you were born in a different place without those parents and without kind of the environment you grew up in, you, that, that's the lucky part. And it's not, you know, it's not like you, you didn't describe a silver spoon. You described people who had a mindset that they pushed you and you, you adopted that same mindset. And I think of the same way for me, what I was, what I was lucky is where I was born and who I was born to. They, they didn't give me, you know, $2 million when I turned 18. They set the example for my whole life. So you kind of go, that's what I want to do. That's how it's done. Right, right. That's the luck. Exactly. <laughs> and after that, it's, it's you, you got to do it. You got to do the work. <laughs> you know what? It's the opportunity. It's the opportunity to work like hell. <laughs> you know, but the other thing is, Joe, when you have a, a parent who says, you can do this, and you believe that you can do it because they're standing there clapping you and cheering you on. So I think, you know, having, and, and I have to mention, you know, my mom passed away when I, when I was 19 years old, she got Lou Gehrig's disease and eight months later was gone. Aww. But think about that. She instilled that in me at a very young age and it's been with me forever. And, 
as uh, Ellen Goodman said, you know, it's the hands that aren't clapping. But I picture my mom saying, you go, girl, you got it, you know. And so I guess maybe just having that mindset that your parents believed in you. Right. Yeah, that's important. So important. So anyway, oh, one last thing. I do this podcast with a friend of mine, Ryan Schreiber. Do you know Ryan? Mm-mm. No. Okay. So he's over at Carry Direct over in Chicagoland. And he always asks people, he does, he's doing similar podcasts with founders. And he always says, how do you manage or do you ever get imposter syndrome? Do you ever look and go, did I really do this? Or is that was that always your expectation? Oh, boy. You know, that's one thing that I haven't experienced. And I'll tell you a quick story. So when I worked at the steel fabricating plant and I was the assistant traffic manager and my boss went to another company and the owner came to me and I was 19 years old. The owner came to me and said, we want to move you as traffic manager. Do you think you can handle it? And I looked at them and I said, what are you talking about? I've been doing that already. Right. It's just that confidence. And it's it's good for you. I think that's... I think there's people who've been on my podcast who said, yeah, I have had that imposter syndrome. They felt like every once in a while they wake up and go, somebody's going to run in here and say, what the hell are you doing in the, you know, in the boss's office? Get out of here. <laughs> right. So it's, it's nice that you always had that confidence. I wish I could have that confidence. I've just, you should, you should bottle that confidence and sell it on. So let's wrap this bad boy up. So what's next for women in trucking and what's what, well, first off, talk about the industry. What has been the impact of women in trucking or it's not just women in trucking. Are there more women in trucking over the last decade than there was the previous decade? Absolutely. From the data that I've seen, we were at about 3% when I started women in trucking and we're we did a survey with freight waves and we came up it's 10% of women over the road drivers. So we've come a long way. We still have a long way to go, but what's next? We are doing a driver ambassador, a tractor trailer, and it'll be retrofitted. It's got a simulator in there. Um, it's wrapped uh, like a superwoman wrap on it. And driver ambassador will be traveling around the country talking about jobs in the industry. And I have hired a vice president for succession planning because, again, since I was the founder, I've always been the face. And so I'm easing out of my role and I'm retiring in a couple of years. And so I'm looking forward to that. And But lots of changes coming up at Women in Trucking, more mentoring programs. We're starting chapters, lots of changes to get our footprint out even further. Yep. So I want to, before you go, I want you to talk a little bit about your conference that you do every year. And you mentioned virtual and also in person. So when are those and how do we sign up for those? So on our website, womenintrucking.org, just click on Accelerate. The conference is November 7th through 9th in Dallas at the Sheraton this year. And 85% of the attendees are women, but it's for men and women. So we'll have, we have people speaking about everything from branding yourself to communication styles to negotiation skills to mentoring and and things like that. So everything applies to men and women um, and they can sign up on our website. And if you sign up for the in-person conference, you will have access to the virtual one as well. So, um, and the virtual one is about two weeks later. Very nice. Very nice. And so what I'll do is I'll put, if you give those links to me, Ellen, I'll put them in the show notes so people can link to both the virtuals. Can you go to just the virtual conference if you want? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Just sign up on our website. Okay. All right. So what I'll do is I'll put those links in the show notes and I'll put a link to women in trucking in general and any other assets you give to me. And and I'll also put a link to your LinkedIn profile so people can reach out and connect with you. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Joe. So who's the new vice president? So who's the new vice president? You didn't tell her. You didn't. 
Oh, yeah. Debbie Sparks. Um, and she actually used to work for American Trucking Associations and truckload carriers. And so we hired her actually last year in January. So she's being groomed. Very nice. Very nice. Well, congratulations on your success and congratulations to women in trucking. It's really something that we really need. And again, I think it's it's great that you've got being able to get the industry behind it because that's what you need. You need shippers to say, we expect this from trucking companies. You need trucking companies to say to their recruiters and partners, yes, this is what the world needs. And you know, I didn't say this in the podcast, but remember when we were young, younger, we're young now, of course, but when we were younger, there would be nursing shortage, and but no men in nursing. And it's a good paying job. It's an important job. And we just didn't, it just wasn't a man job because it was like, oh, you're taking care of people. Well, what's wrong with that, right? And we had that in education every once in a while, we'd have a teacher shortage. And for a long time, men weren't in going into education because it was more of, again, taking care of people job. It's not as if I'm a dad. I took care of kids. I mean, they made it. They're alive and well, alive and kicking. So it's a funny thing that we've kind of made. This is a man's job. This is a woman's job. There's less and less of that. But I think you have found maybe that last bastion of, oh, no, this is a man job. And that and bouncers, right after you retire, maybe you can get more women bouncers at bars. <laughs> you don't have to be a big dude. You can just be a very pleasant woman saying, guys, guys, stop. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Good point. So, Ellen, thank you so much. I do appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Thank you for the positive exposure, Joe. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.